Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So in the last two weeks as we have made our way through the first 12 chapters of Genesis, the amazing and life-transforming truth that we have discovered is that since the beginning of the world, what God wanted most, or the reason why God created all of this, is to live in relationship with us. And that on day six and day seven of creation, we find God taking up his place in the world among his people, whom he calls to be his partners. Which is the same theme we then found in the Adam and Eve story as God puts Adam and Eve in the garden to oversee and care for it as he lives in relationship with them. But the place we find what God wants most being revealed most clearly, at least so far in the story, is when human beings decide to turn their back on God. Which happened when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the forbidden fruit. And God, in response to that betrayal, that sin, didn't walk away, didn't give up, but instead created this long-term plan to get us back, which is the plan that begins in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls this man Abraham out of Babylon to establish a covenant or a relationship with him, a relationship that is then developed with Abraham and his family who become the nation of Israel, a nation that God in turn will use to reveal himself to the world. Or remember, the way we find God's plan working itself out is, is kind of like a virus. And I know that's a horrible analogy to use right here in the midst of a pandemic, but it works. And that it starts with one person and slowly but steadily begins to spread little by little to his family until finally you have a whole nation of people who live in relationship with this God. Or what I believe becomes clear when you take a kind of 50,000 foot view of what happens throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Chapter 12 through chapter 50 or the nuts and bolts and messiness of God working to establish a relationship with Abraham and his family. Which, by the way, is a story if you've never read it before, you need to read it. There is, there is nothing on TV today that even comes close to the craziness that you will find in Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 50. And the way God's plan is working itself out is not only through God protecting and blessing and guiding Abraham through all sorts of strange and dangerous situations as their relationship grows, right? Again, you've got to read the story. But it also happens through God establishing a relationship with Abraham's descendants. And it starts first with Abraham's only son, Isaac, and then passes on to Isaac's second-born son, Jacob, which is an amazing story in itself, who then goes on to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Or from these 12 men, these 12 sons of Isaac, you get the creation of the nation of Israel. Or in one sense, as we follow God's plan. That's what happens in the book of Genesis. That's how it unfolds in the book of Genesis. But then, but then we get into the Exodus. And what we find happening as we move into the book of Exodus is that 
God's people have now been made slaves. God's people have now been oppressed by the most powerful um, empire in the world at that time. And so what we find happening in the first part of Exodus, it's all about how God calls this man Moses to be the mouthpiece or the medium of God to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, where God, through the use of 10 plagues and a few miracles, sets his people free so that they will finally be able to move from a life of slavery where they are living into the promised land or the land that God promised them, where in turn they can live into relationship with God. What you need to know about the promised land is it's, it's a move from slavery into a place where they can live in harmony and at peace with God, or at least that's the goal. Next, what we find after God sets his people free. And they arrive at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God during their wanderings in the wilderness. Because you guys know it takes them 40 years, right? They're supposed to start out in Egypt and go directly to the promised land. Well, they don't have anything figured out, so they need 40 years to get there. And so what happens as they come to this mountain of God and God begins to communicate with them is that again, like God did with Abraham, we find this God doing something that is unheard of in the ancient world. This God makes a covenant or enters into a relationship with these people. Exodus 19, 3 through 6 explains how Moses for the first time makes his way up to the mountain of God and what happens as, Mount, as Moses encounters God up there on the mountain for the first time. Is that the first thing God does is he sets the terms of the relationship that he is going to have with these people because what's most important to God or what comes first for God is being in relationship with these people he has called to be his chosen. Then Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. And again, what God is doing here is he's actually seeking a relationship with these people. And the reason that's so astounding is because the rest of the ancient world at this time believes that the only reason human beings were created, the only reason they were created were to be the slaves and the servants of the God or to do all the stuff that the gods didn't want to do, which means their lives really don't matter. There's no, there's no inherent value in them. They're just to do what the gods tell them to do because if they don't, eh, the gods just get rid of them. That was the main thought in the ancient world at that time. But here in this story, really for the first time, I believe in the history of the world, which means this is revolutionary. This is something that changed the world forever, which we don't get because we live afterwards. We find God choosing to become partners or enter into a relationship with the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, or, or God getting what God wants most. A relationship. Which then only gets better as we keep reading through the book of Exodus, because after God enters into a relationship with these people, we find God taking things even further with the creation of the tabernacle. Or what's being described starting in chapter 25 and running through the end of Exodus, which is more than half of the book, which makes this a main emphasis of this book, even though this is a part of the book we skip. How many of you guys have ever read the description of how the tabernacle was put together? Anybody? Well, if you haven't read it yet and you need to go to sleep, this is where you go. 
It really is detail-oriented, but nonetheless, it takes up all of this space, which means it is a huge, important part of what God is doing at that time. So what God is doing when he gives these instructions, he's given Moses instructions on how to build a place or a house that God can live among his people. The tabernacle being nothing more than a mobile temple, a mobile home where God chooses to live. And what that means for the Israelites is that from that point on, no matter where they go or what they face, they will never be alone. Because God will always be at the center of their camp. The creator of the universe will always be at the center of their camp. Or what you need to understand about this particular temple is it traveled with the Israelites wherever they went. And when they would come and settle to a particular place, the temple went up first. And then everybody else set their tents up around that, which made it central, which made it the, 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 the focal point of who they were as a people or To really help you get the significance of this, what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment and imagine the the courthouse grounds here in Graybank, Kansas. Jack Kilby Square. Think about that. But instead of imagining the courthouse being there, which is the center of our community when you think about it, think about the tabernacle being there. Or imagine that at the center of Graybank, there is a place where the creator of the universe lives among us, a place where you can drive and even walk by to be reminded that God is with us. So do you see the significance of what that meant for the people at that time? For them, God lived right over there. So again, here in the book of Exodus, really for the first time in the history of the world, you you find a description of a God who not only wants to live in relationship with his people, which is what the covenant is all about, but you find a God who wants to live among his people, who's literally pitching a tent among them because what he wants most is a relationship with them. Are you guys seeing this theme yet? Am I beating this theme to death, right? I mean, you just can't ignore it. It's the foundation of what we find working itself out in Scripture. But of course, God's plan doesn't stop there. In fact, God's plan is just getting started at the end of Exodus. As you get into the book of Leviticus and parts of the book of Numbers and on into Deuteronomy, you will discover that these ancient texts are basically how-to books on living in relationship with God at that time. You want to know how to live in relationship with God? That's where you go. You go to these particular books which then is a relationship that continues to work itself out in a variety of ways as you read throughout the Old Testament, keeping your eye on the big picture. Or in the books of the history, like Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, and 1 and 2 Kings, you find stories of this messy yet beautiful relationship that God has with his people. The biggest part being that during the reign of King Solomon, God moves out of the tabernacle, the mobile temple, because they're now a settled people, into the temple at Jerusalem where God continues to live with them. The temple being the center of all Jewish life. In the prophetic books, or books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Amos, you find God using these brave men and women to continue to reach out to his sinful and ungrateful people. 
so that they'll change their ways and come back home. In the book of the poets or the poetic books, books like Psalm and Proverbs, you find these intimate descriptions or wrestlings on what it's like to live in relationship with God. They're amazing books. Which then shows that. The Old Testament is really nothing more than a collection of inspired ancient documents that capture, explain, and unveil the history of God in relationship with his people. And what we find working out in that unveiling, that explanation, is that over and over and over and over and over again, no matter what, no matter how many times these people walk away or what it is that these people do, this God chases after them, doing everything in his power to get them Because what he wants most is relationship. And I don't know about you guys. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a minister now for 21 years. I've seen a whole lot of things in my life. But to think... That the creator of the universe, what he wants most is a relationship with me? A relationship with you? It simply blows my mind. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about thinking as God is this angry being who is out to get us if we do something wrong or that God doesn't care. What the Old Testament is trying to reveal to us is that God really does want a relationship. God really does want to know and be known by us. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all-powerful, all-knowing, the one who created all of this wants a relationship with us. And if that's not something that takes your breath away, if that's not something that does something for you, <laughs> there's nothing else I can say. Let us pray. Father, again, we come to you. And we are blown away, or at least I'm blown away by the fact that what you want most is a relationship. That what we find working out in the Old Testament, and then as we get into the New Testament starting next week, is that you have been chasing after us since the moment we were born. That you are a God who is willing to forgive. You are a God who is willing to help us find our place in the world. You are a God who just simply wants a relationship. So today, oh Lord, help us to stop fighting it. Help us to just say yes.
Help us to know you in the deepest possible ways. Help us to invite you in to our hearts and our lives so we never walk alone. So we always live in relationship with you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.